Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. In this podcast, hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management, we bring you the latest news on investment management, financial planning, the economy, and much more. On this episode, you'll hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe discuss mortgage rates, opportunities in a challenging economic climate, and the importance of staying invested. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and with me, as always, are Mike Steppe and Adam Longley, Chief Investment Officers of our Bank and Wealth Management Group and Senior Vice Presidents with the bank. Mike and Adam, thank you for joining me today. I love it. It's fun to do. I always learn something from you guys, and there is no shortage of important things happening right now. So, Mike, let's jump into it. Will you give us a market update? Sure. We've had a we've had a lot of volatility all year. The market is trying to find a new equilibrium, the right level pricing for an environment with higher inflation for a longer period of time. So that's sort of the backdrop. Two weeks ago, um, CPI was announced, Consumer Price Index, on June 10th. And it was higher than people expected. People were expecting a decrease uh, this month. And so the number was was 8.6%. And when you looked at the underlying numbers, it was a a bigger set of increases across a wider group uh, of of components. And so it surprised the market on a year-over-year basis Consumer price index is at the highest level seen seen since 1981. And the biggest contributors were energy, shelter, food. So the things that we've been talking about. And so that sort of rattled the market. It surprised the market. And then that was leading up to a Fed meeting. So the Fed had an FOMC meeting and it raised overnight rates by 75 basis points. Now, 50 basis points was sort of priced into the market. So this was an additional 25 basis points that sort of got priced in a day or two before the meeting. But in general speaking, it was higher than what people expected. So what we've seen uh, is that you've had a lot of volatility. In general, stocks have fallen off. Interest rates have shifted higher. And we continue to have the start to summer be a really volatile period in the market. And it's probably going to go on volatile for a while here. That's that's certainly what I've I've been experiencing as of late. Adam, we'll come over to you with some commentary on equity markets and specifically what's going on with earnings in the companies. Um, We're we're at that time of the year where the quarter's almost over. And so it's kind of a, a last... Um, ditch effort for the companies to give a little bit of guidance before they have to be silent uh, and start to report in a couple of weeks. But as we sit here, expectations for sales growth in the second quarter, it's still to be above 10%, which is a a healthy number. That's really led by the energy sector with revenues over 50% higher. A lot of that's driven by oil um, north of $100. And then kind of the worst is expectations for financials uh, to have slightly negative sales growth. A lot of that is the the significant fall off in mortgage activity. So that's not a surprise. But then with earnings, um, you know, expectations are for 
growth about between five and six percent. So obviously expecting some margin contraction there. A lot of that's due to um, inflation. Um, but if you take out uh, strong earnings from energy companies, which are expectations are over 200 percent, you'd largely have a, a you know negative earnings expectations for the rest of the market. Um, the few bright spots are going to be within industrials. The airline sector has strong earnings growth. And then almost all things material, um, materials that benefit from inflation. Otherwise, um, you've, you've got some, some bigger negative numbers in the, in the financial sector, down almost 20% earnings-wise. So we've had um, the guidance we've been given so far is, is been on the negative side with, um, call it 70-plus companies giving some negative guidance and only 30 issuing positive guidance. So it'll be something that uh, the market will have to digest in the next couple of weeks as, as we see what companies have to say. Well, that's uh, not so much good news for us there. Uh, negative earnings surprises, or at least guidance, hopefully that leads to some positive revisions after after they come out. Mike, Adam mentioned inflation having a uh, uh, driving some of the returns on energy and materials companies. And you talked about inflation hitting maybe higher than expectations. Can you mention any areas that are really getting hit with inflation and what your forecast is for the remainder of the year and maybe into 2023 as well? Sure. What you're seeing right now is sort of you still have the supply chain bottlenecks. You have wages are increasing. Housing prices have gone up. So those have been the three traditional things that we've seen. As Russia invaded Ukraine, that increased the tensions in the Middle East and we've seen the price of energy go up. And as well, Ukraine being the food, ba the food basket of Europe, we've seen food prices increasing. So those things impacting the market. There's longer term things as companies going through this are sort of trying to source more locally because we've had supply chain disruptions. That's increasing costs. And the decarbonization effort, all of, all of that means that fossil fuel costs and these other more of an emphasis on, you know, the wind turbines and other things like that, natural sources, those increase costs in the short run. So we've seen a noticeable increase in inflationary pressures, and those are going to be more sticky. They're not, they're not going away short run. This year, in 2022, you'd probably expect around 7.5% inflation for the year, and maybe next year in sort of that 3 to 3.5%, 3 probably starting the year a little higher and sort of phasing down over the course of the year next year would sort of be a best case scenario. The, the Fed seems to think it's going to be a little faster than that, but I think many of these problems are stickier and it's going to take a little while longer. And I think the market is anticipating that too. Are there any assets uh, or components of CPI or the basket considered for inflation that you expect to be higher into 2023 and then any that you expect to subside quicker? Well, the, the natural inflation hedges that would be commodity prices, would be energy prices. Um, so those have been the, you know, the, the things that do well um, in, a, in this type of, a, of an inflation prone 
uh, economy. Perfect. Adam, you've talked in the past about how value stocks don't necessarily perform the same as a growth stock. Can you speak to how that relationship is presently and what's driving the divergence? Yeah, this, this year's been pretty big difference in performance. As we sit here today, the S&P 500 off its high point, which was set in very early January, the market's down about 22%. So growth stocks are down over 30 and value stocks are down around 15. So growth is down twice as much as value. You know, one of the reasons value has um, hung in there, um, done better this year is uh, energy is, is in the value sector. There's, there's no energy growth companies. And energy, even though it had a, it was down 20% last week, it's still up 35% on the year. Uh, up until recently, utilities, which are largely value, had a positive return as well. And then just technology companies, uh, which clearly are, are growth companies, were, were down the most. Part of that is um, they've done really well coming out of COVID. Um, and then it's just of, of kind of how you receive those cash flows. You know, growth companies, a lot of the values is in is in the out years you're, you're kind of paying today for future growth prospects versus a value company you're receiving a higher dividend um higher shareholder return so you're getting more of your cash they're less sensitive to interest rates going higher so part of it is the sector part of it is the the, the cash flow cadence um and then and then going forward um i think value stocks um potentially look more attractive than growth stocks for a couple of reasons one is is valuation even though value's done better than growth this year, um, based on historically where they've traded, value is, is still five or 10% cheap to its long-term average called the 20-year average based on PE. And growth is still about at least 15% expense, expensive. So relative value is still more attractive. Um, I think the sectors in this environment of high inflation are more attractive. And then as we talk about all this volatility, I think, uh, a higher dividend yield is attractive in your in your equity as well. You know, some of these energy companies are yielding, especially international, four or five percent. I think getting a nice dividend is attractive in this environment. And then often these value um, stocks are more defensive in nature and higher quality. So they they're more consumer staples, more um, you know their cash flows are more um, predictable in, in in a recessionary type environment. So. I think the outlook for for value stocks uh, in this environment is is relatively more attractive than growth. That's a I love that summary. Thank you. I want you to help me understand something about how, after the fact, it seems kind of easy to see the trends that occurred, but in my experience, they're very difficult to uh, to see while they're happening or in advance for example, value stocks doing well, relatively speaking, or energy. Um, in hindsight, with uh, energy prices as low as they were in 2021, it seems that it was obvious that they would do well this year, or growth stocks underperforming when they were so far uh, ahead of value stocks in 2021. How, how does an investor look forward and not just rely on those patterns that seem to have been easy to see in, in the past? Um, you know, whether it's obvious that energy was going to do well, you could have said that for, for years and it never happened until this year. 
you know, it was obvious that interest rates were going to go higher yet. It, it didn't happen until this year. So that the timing is, is very important and, and getting the timing wrong is often, you know, the outcome is not much different than being wrong. Um, so, you know, one easy solution is just look long-term and, and stay invested. You know, there's, we know that over the last 20 some years, you know, the S&P 500 average returns about 10, a 60, 40 portfolio, that's 60% equities, 40% bonds is, is average return is about seven and a half. You know, those are all strong numbers. Yet we know from survey data and, and looking at a um, account balances that the average investor, their average return is, is less than four. Um, so clearly they're not getting the potential return that's out there. So whether it's, you know, a handful of reasons, holding too much cash, you know, trading too much is, is the biggest culprit, trying to time the market. It, you can kind of see from the day that most people aren't able to time the market and are better served by, by just being long-term focused um, and writing it out. Now, writing it out doesn't mean do nothing and, and just take it on the chin every time there's a big drawdown. There are, uh, whether it's tilting the portfolio towards value, like we just talked about, there's often things you can do um, to position yourself better as the market changes and this volatility creates opportunity. But trying to time the market is, is really difficult. I, I think, you, you know, you hear people, they got out. At, at, a, at the right time because the market went down later. But what you hear less often is that they got in at the right time. What, what you hear more often is that they missed, they missed the rebound. They probably would have been just better doing nothing. You know, that scenario where that average investor receives less than four over the last 20 years, you could have just bought a 20 year bond and got four and a half and, and literally did nothing except for collect, collect coupons. So timing the market is very, very difficult. Uh, most people uh, aren't able to do it successfully. So Stay, uh, stay long-term focused and make tweaks. What a great point that there are two trades that come with timing the market. Selling at the top is only one of them, but having to buy at the bottom or sometime before the new top is a second trade and sometimes one that gets lost. I appreciate that feedback. Mike, I'm going to come over to you with a question related to interest rates and mortgages. Um, we've been seeing the Fed take action related to mortgages and the buying of mortgage-backed securities and rates moving. What is happening in that market? There's a big change going on right now in mortgage rates. For the last couple of years, the Fed has been the biggest buyer in the market. So they quietly accumulated about a third of all residential mortgages that have been put out into the market by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae. So now what we're seeing is them stop their buying. They stopped back in March, and now they're going to start selling some mortgages. And so you go, you switch from the Fed being this biggest buyer in the market to now we have to find new buyers that find these levels attractive, and the prices are going up because of that. So this morning, if you look at mortgage rates, they're at the highest level that we've seen in the last 13 years, according to Freddie Mac. So that's, you know, we've seen this noticeable jump and, and mortgage rates are up closer to 6%. And that's just the market trying to find uh, a price that, that uh, will attract, you know, buyers into the market. And that's what it's extracting at the moment. So we've seen that move in mortgage rates as the Fed and the government started to exit or at least 
be a smaller role in that market. We're seeing a move in municipal rates and you, Adam, and I all lived through investing the kind of last 10, 12 years since the recession and the difficulties in municipal finances back then. That's what you eat and sleep and breathe, it seems, is municipal finances. What will happen a few years from now if when municipalities need to renew at rates that are 50% higher or 100% higher than they were when they took out the debt? That's a great question. And nobody really knows the, the answer. When you look at the long-term trends, you say, this is going to have a big impact. Municipal investors have tended to be fairly short-sighted, and it's been very focused on immediate yield. Right now, the most municipalities have gotten an influx of these Fed dollars from you know COVID-related, and so they're in a world where their, their numbers look pretty good right at the moment. You have to look out you know, for, as you're saying, out about four years, and most investors aren't doing that when it comes to municipalities. So you can see that some of these municipalities are train wrecks, and they're going to have problems down the road, but it doesn't seem reflected in the pricing. We've seen that before. We've seen it with Illinois municipal credits. We saw it before that with Detroit pricing. We've seen it before in the in the municipal finance area that until there's sort of a crisis moment, yields don't uh, reflect the risk that investors are taking. So when you're thinking about municipal bonds, you really want to be in the better quality bonds, the bonds that, that you understand the economics, the money flowing in makes sense. You know that they're that they're collecting property taxes or income taxes, and that they're going to be able to continue to do that. And they, the expenses that the communities have make sense to you. So when you get to the ones that, that don't make sense, you've got to avoid them in this. This is the time to avoid them because you're just not getting paid for the risk you're taking. That's right. I appreciate that. It's always interesting in our business. and It'll be interesting to see what comes in that? One of the things that hits headlines, Mike, a lot is yield curve inversion. So when shorter term rates are getting higher than longer term rates. Can you talk about what drives that and then why people pay attention to that measurement? I do. I pay attention to that measurement because it's been a decent predictor. When you look at it, generally speaking, when, when you have short-term rates get higher than long, usually there's a slope to the yield curve and it's positively slope. Now you, you're seeing that, you know, the curve has gotten really flat and every and two times in, the la, in this quarter, we've seen the, the curve invert where two-year rates are higher than 10-year rates on treasuries. That's unusual and it sends a signal that investors are concerned about what the Fed is doing that they're worried that the Fed is going to push short-term rates up to a level that tips the economy into a recession. So it's sort of one of those warning shots across the bow that you get. You don't get that many of them in investments, and this is one of them. So I'm concerned about that. You know, when you when you think about the concerns in the market, there's, there's sort of what, what will the Fed go too far in pushing up rates? The other one is, that the, from a consumer perspective, the, the sentiment among consumers is really weak. 
if you have, you have to go back in history to see that in the past when consumer sentiment was this weak, we were in the middle of pretty prolonged recessions. And so it was an issue at that point. When you look at it today, and we can all understand why this is happening, it's COVID related, it's inflation related, it's a war in Ukraine, it's political dysfunction. Consumers are worried and concerned about things, but at the same time, it's still there. That's it, it is a concern. So there, you know, the the yield curve and the, the yield curve inversion is a warning sign, and the consumer sentiment is a warning sign that are out there on the horizon to think about. Adam, I'm going to come back to you and look for the, uh, we'll say the warning side to the upside. So what would be the uh, things that you and our team would look for that would indicate that the economy is getting healthier? Um, and, and maybe not just as the Fed says, looking for a soft landing, but that might allow for a longer term sustained uh, growth trajectory. Sure. Um, want to see the inflation data move lower, whether it's CPI or some other measure. We want to get confidence that that's peaked and it's trending lower and that at some point we're going to get back to a more normal 2%. Just being on that path will give the equity market confidence. Want to see things like GDP, growth estimates, um, stock going down, stabilize and start to go up. Want to see guidance from companies that's forward-looking, be positive. Want to see uh, earnings expectations trend upwards. And then want to see actual results beat those positive revisions. Um, I, I think all of those things would be a, a positive backdrop for equities. Is the primary reason that having lower inflation numbers like 2 or 3% is because it's in line with the Fed's mandate and they will be less inclined to manipulate the economy or maybe said differently, less inclined to increase interest rates or reduce uh, or stay out of the bond market? Um, or is there something else about inflation that is difficult for the economy to handle? But, you know, the average family, it costs them $500 more every month to buy the same stuff that they bought last year. I mean, that, that's not good for anyone. It's not good for the equity market. It's not good for individuals. Um, you need inflation to come down. Um, and, and once it's normal, then yeah, the, the, there's no reason for the federal government to raise rates anymore. Maybe even they, maybe even they go lower. Sure. Is there any concern that you have related to deflation? So, Obviously, when prices are going up, well, maybe not obviously, but presumably people are inclined to buy because they think something will be more expensive in the future. So it's better to buy now. Whereas, and we're seeing it in the housing market, obviously, and the opposite presumably is true too. If we have deflation or the expectation of it, people are inclined to wait to buy if they think it will become less expensive in the future. Do you worry about that side at all, Adam? Um, I, I do, but not today. You know, in a pretty sure. high inflationary environment, it's hard to think sure. about anything else. So at least at this point, it doesn't seem like the things that the Fed are doing are going to overreach that, that somewhere down the road. We're, that's not a primary concern for us right now. Well, I mean, the, historically, it's, you know, it, it, the Fed tends to raise rates maybe 
too much. Um, we'll, we'll see if they get it right this time. It's an incredibly difficult task, but yeah, I mean, the odds are that, you know, they probably overshoot and there's consequences, but. There'll be opportunities along the way. Well, Adam and Mike, I certainly appreciate the time you took to chat with me today. And I know our audience does too. To our audience, please reach, reach out to anybody at the bank with any other questions that you have. We love talking about all of this. Adam and Mike are always available. I'm always available. Your advisors, your bankers are always available for you to get any questions asked. I'll come back to Adam and Mike with, in just a moment for some parting thoughts. But to our audience, you can also find these uh, the content from this and more content on our website if you just Google Nicolay Webinar or Nicolay Podcast. Um, and you can go to nicolaybank.com to find this information as well. With that, Adam, I'll come to you for some parting thoughts. Sure. Um, you know, as we stand here today, the equity market is in bear territory. It's it's down over 22%. But we're now at a point where it's corrected, where the average um, valuation is, is trading below its long-term average, assuming estimates hold up. Um, but it's interesting, you know, over half the market is, is trading at a price where it's below where it was before COVID in February of 2020. So we have had a, a big pullback. There are opportunities for active management. Um, so we're, we're, we're still trying to capitalize on those. Mike, to you for parting thoughts. With the increase in interest rates, the ability to buy two-year and three-year treasury notes at rates above 3% feels really good. When you look at that, you know, we've been in this environment where for a long time, the Fed was holding rates artificially low. And so they weren't reflecting the risk people were taking. Now, when you look at a, a two-year treasury note at 3% plus, that, that makes sense again. So I, I feel very positive about that. I love it. Thank you, guys. This was great for me. Thank you to our audience for joining us. And we'll talk to you again soon.